talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show, we're here now in 2021 We take a look at formerly Aaron Sorkin's seminal work uh, At this point, I guess we can call it John Wells' <laughs> seminal work. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I guess that would I guess that would be ER. He had he had more control over <laughs> ER. Uh so we can't call it Sorkin's work anymore, but either way, here we are to take a look at The West Wing. Uh, this episode entitled Jefferson Lives, which is our first you know, Zoe has been rescued and now and Bartlett is president and we're back to quote unquote status quo. Uh so now let's see what the new team can do. And I'm sad to report the results are not good. <laughs> yeah, the um, so and we were just talking about this. Basically, the thrust of this episode is that there a bit there's a big fight over the nomination of the new vice president, who will be replacing Correct. outgoing John Hoynes. And you know, for as little of a ceremonial and mainly like spare heartbeat type of position that the vice president is, they mm-hmm. make a shitload of hay out right. of, like, this nomination About how big... Well, it's also from the era where it is. it was assumed that if you were VP, you were next in line to run for president the next time around. Yes, well, and they also make that part Which of the... Which they bring up quite frequently, is that, you know, we need someone to be the Democratic benchwarmer for the next time around after Bartlett is term limited now that he's in his second term. Which, which I, I guess is okay because, and God, here we are. This is the state to which our politics have descended or our hopes have descended. <laughs> it's that at least we could say in the West Wing universe, the democratic party is interested in continuing to hold the white house after <laughs> yeah. a two term presidency. <laughs> yeah. They actually, yeah, they actually appear to care about which, doing that. I couldn't really say about either Bill Clinton or Obama's, like, the the people they ran after that. So, great. Yeah. So, uh, we open on them interviewing their primary pick for VP, who is the current Secretary of State. I forget the character's name. His name is Uh, Lewis Berryhill. Berryhill. That's it. They, uh, They keep bringing up Berryhill, Berryhill, Berryhill. Uh, throughout the first half of the episode. So he's he's their pick. They like him. He's the current Secretary of State. He has apparently been very successful in that role within the fiction of the show. We've seen him you before know. and a couple times. Oh, uh, yeah. Mostly off screen, though. Uh, he, yeah. Sometimes he's in some meetings with Bartlett yeah. here or there. Um, and that kind of advisory role. So they're cool with him. He's He's thrilled to be chosen. Everything seems good. We cut to the staff all talking about how this is going to be a slam dunk. Easy peasy. You know, he got like a unanimous nomination as secretary of state. So how could how could the Republicans possibly have a problem with him? <laughs> Jeez. Cough, cough, Merrick Garland. Cough, cough. Guys, we're just playing the game. Why aren't you obeying the rules? So, so this sets up the main conflict of this episode when they meet with Republican leadership. And at first, in my, in my favorite little detail, Leo opens the meeting by praising the Republicans for how awesome and bipartisan they have been lately with the whole walk-in and Bartlett 
power struggle and says like it's been great to just you know been able to work walk across the aisle and and get some work done lately uh so by the way here's our vp candidate uh who is not objectionable in any way uh we would like a speedy quick process of this and we get introduced to new speaker of the house uh halfley what's his first name Josh? Uh, I don't know. Halfley. I, I, I feel like he's such a foil for Josh. I want to call him Josh. Aha, Halfley, you are very close. His name is Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Halfley. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff, he, Jeff. And he is such a foil for Josh. He is essentially like Republican Josh. Um, and so he decides to do the typical Republican thing uh, and just go like, no, actually, this unobjectionable nominee, I totally object to. Uh, by the way, I have brought my own list with me of nominees that I, the Republican Speaker of the House, find <laughs> find acceptable. Uh, you may pick from one of these Democrats who currently hold the White House. And <laughs> being Democrats, they're just like... Well, I guess we got to pick someone from this I, list now. I guess we got to do what the Republicans say. The we're, we're just we're just playing by the rules. Our hands are tied. Uh, and even though Barry Hill himself, you know, meets with Bartlett again after this happens, and Bartlett's like, "Hey, there's some, you know, the Republicans are fighting on this a little." And Barry Hill's like, "Great, I've been itching for a fight, sir. You know, yeah. let's let's do it." Let's, you know, let's make me a fight. I got nothing to hide. You can have me go up there and take testimony for 12 hours. You know, I'm, I am confident that I'm ready to be America's vice president. And I'm and like in the moment, I'm like, hell yeah, dude. And then Bartlett just fucking folds, though, and goes like, no, uh, we're just going to pick someone off the list. Not only that, we're going to pick the most boringest possible option off the list. So it would be the least objectionable. And. Because the, we don't want any fight on this, because it would be bad optics. And the the even the staging and kind of the pacing of when he and the president are talking is just so awkward. The guy's practically, you know, like you said, he's itching for a fight, and he's like right. cog and being projecting the type of leadership again that we right. saw and responded to when right. John he Goodman was like in the big chair. He looks like a mini Bartlett in that moment. Like, you know, like he's, well, he's a hard man who's ready to make the hard decisions. And, and, you know, he's everything that the West Wing has told us is good and heroic. And then they're just like, nah. And they're like, nah, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're not even going to cool. fight a little. <laughs> yeah. And Which is just so typically actual Democrat. Like, the show has stumbled into a perfect <laughs> depiction of the how actual politics does happen. Yeah, and the thing is, the guy, you know, in when we were talking about this before, it's 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 in addition to setting up for the sort of next administration to come in. It's also a continuation of the process of bringing the show back down to a normal aspect, mm -hmm. because what mm -hmm. you see in this fight is they go hard on setting up this Halfley guy as a very convenient black and white good guy bad guy fight right. between yeah. him and his theoretical contemporary Josh. So we mm -hmm. haven't we haven't heard too much about Josh, but Josh is the one who is then tasked with evaluating this list, setting up right. all these interviews, figuring out the politics between them and it throws him into a crisis. Right. Like it's the typical uh, overworked Josh shenanigans ensue yeah so 
the eventual what they eventually land on is a house representative. His name is Bob Russell, Robert Russell. And for some reason, they excuse me, Robert was his father. He's just Bob. (laughs) (laughs) So and they go they go hard on this gimmicky thing because they call him Bingo Bob. Bingo Bob. (laughs) I Bingo Bob Russell is his congressional nickname uh, unexplained as yes. to why he's bing- <laughs> he's bingo bob like uh, left left and, out there to just be like uh you know okay <laughs> and pl- played magnificently by Gary fucking Cole of all people uh coming fresh off office space i imagine because that was like 99 or so <laughs> yeah uh and <laughs> Yeah, coming right off Lumberg into uh, this role where he gets to play the most boringest congressman, <laughs> yeah. essentially. And Which is quite saying something, uh, as most congressmen are boring, and he's boring even by that standard. Well, so, they... they the, the show does this job trying to build out his personality, where they have him say these certain things that seem to be um, somewhat of a capitulation and a waffling between both sides. Like they say like, Oh, he won't commit to one thing or another or, you know, and he's, he's willing to be molded. And so he seems to be willing to go along to get along and all this stuff. But it comes off in this conversation as him being willing to wield the power from whatever angle it's required Mm-hmm. to get him to this place. So it just being flexible. This, yeah, there's no, this very yeah. incongruous um, message being sent where we have the entire administration bowing to the will of the opposition party mm-hmm. and yet taking on this guy that they think that's bad about. Mm-hmm. Like, so what, what do we, <laughs> yeah. what do you even believe in here? What yeah. is, what's the point? Nothing. Nothing at all. The the only point is to avoid a fight. They believe in nothing other than just, well, this one will cause us less stress. So let's just do this thing. So Bingo Bob is from Colorado. They call him um, the West West Company, West Oil Company. So, 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 he's he's some oh, mining, mining company, mining, shill, that's essentially, because uh, as he admits, like they employ five hundred percent more than anyone else in his district. So he's basically their bitch. Although he says like, oh, but I do push back on them every now and then. Yeah. And so I guess eventually sort of where it comes down is they agree that this guy will be the VP. I, I, I love the fucking just like shitty acceptance they have of this. Of <laughs> Bart, Bartlett just goes, well, we hated the last guy. <laughs> <laughs> like at least, at least this guy's just sort of neutrally offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's just like, well, shit. Because that's like, exactly. well, fuck, I hated Hoynes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm, at least, at least this guy is just kind of bland. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna dig up this that clip and put it in right here. Bob Russell, really? He ain't my choice. But hey, we hated the last guy. <laughs> because it's like the perfect. <laughs> 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 
reaction. <laughs> like, Bartlett's just so fucking beat down and sad toward the, the very end of this episode. And then it gets uplifted by this stupid immigrant bullshit, which oh, do you want to just, oh. like, break that down right yeah, now? Yeah, let, okay. let's do it. So the setting, the, the temporal but setting. I just want to point out, before the immigrant bullshit comes in, I've, it's Bartlett at, like, his fucking saddest I've seen him on the show. <laughs> and this is just coming off having his daughter been fucking kidnapped. Like, him, him having to eat the Bingo Bob VP thing is, like, such a fucking heartbreak to him for some reason. <laughs> Just, he could just be reinvigorated. And that's the thing. He he has he should be feeling such relief and invigoration that his daughter is safe. He's got all this right. shit to do. Like, why wouldn't you go and He should pick be a coming fight? out swinging. Yeah, he should be coming out swinging with his big dick of like, oh, daddy's back and he's yeah, fucking no in charge. Like, <sighs> that's the fantasy, right? Like, even if you're writing the... Sh- like, even not just from a strategic fictional standpoint for Bartlett but like on a more meta level if you're watching the show that's the fantasy right (laughs) what's the fantasy? right that Bartlett comes out big dick swinging and like and get gets what he wants done and instead like just for drama's sake they they throw these stupid (laughs) they throw Halfley at his face and they just fold to, to like the first sign of pressure and, and again, in terms of like them trying to re-rail and, and set up this very simple storytelling device of halfly bad, administration good, like now we have mm-hmm. an enemy to focus mm-hmm. on, how, how does it help to have your first encounter with that enemy be just a crushing defeat? Well, uh, okay, I can argue that for dramatic stakes it makes sense because you're setting up Halfley to be a tough mm-hmm. opponent. Oh, okay. You yeah, know, and so, it's, so you, it's, you establish it's the, him. It's the, uh, to borrow another Star Trek metaphor, it's Worf getting his ass kicked by the bad guy so that you understand the bad guy is strong because he beat up Worf. Oh, yeah, and Worf is the big tough man, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so Halfley kicks Josh and, and the president and Leo's. He kicks all their asses in this episode just so we understand, oh, not only Halfley bad, Halfley strong, powerful bad. Yeah, and now that you say it, I, I get it. It just doesn't... It, it's cheap, it's, though. It's very yeah, it's cheap. it's cheap. And it goes along the lines of the, this is an easy, easy fallback for mm-hmm. the writers, which, fine, fine. If they're still scrambling, you know, it's only been three episodes... Sure, you I know, give them a little bit of slack yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, but so, then yeah, so the immigrant thing. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the the temporal setting for all of these events is that it's going to be the Fourth of July. Hooray! Correct. Big fireworks show. We yay! Which the end of the episode shows in its entirety to be like America. Fuck yeah! <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to the Zoe <laughs> shit. But okay. Anyway, so the other thing that's happening is that they are struggling to find. And this is an interesting parallel to what's currently happening in the country right now. They're struggling to find a place where they can, quote, safely administer the oath of citizenship to mm-hmm. a class of well, who I believe in, they only describe naturalized as citizens. incoming naturalized Arab Immigrants. Yeah, most mostly Arab immigrants, and apparently the, they were going to do it at a veterans hall, and a, a bomb threat got called in, uh, so they had to relocate them. And in the ep- and to cheer up the president at the end, after he has to suck up with the Bingo Bob VP thing, they let him come in and uh, give a speech to the immigrants who <laughs> they have lo- relocated to, you know, like one of the White House East Wing rooms or whatever, where they do like the state dinners and whatnot. 
uh, and, you know, lets them, they've done their oath in there, and then Bartlett comes in and gives a great speech about, oh, isn't this so great? Our founders were also, you know, not safe at when they formed the country, just like you. It's so, and it's just, <laughs> just so bad. Uh, uh, um, all right, like, uh, this is not the great, the best of feet to get off my experience as, like, as a, as a citizen on, you know, being under threat of danger immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, I mean, I'm, I'm well, Welcome to the melting pot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where, where, where everybody lives in constant fear of physical violence. <laughs> so, well, and I, I'm kind of reaching again with the thing that we're like, literally this morning, there was just this horrific video of um, an elderly Asian woman walking to church in fucking West Midtown in New York City. And a dude just like, clotheslines her into the street and kicks her a bunch on the ground jesus it's fucking insane and so this is obviously just like this continuation of i don't know and it's always been the case you know you pick an ethnic group that is otherized and the the other yeah and and exercise your societal violence upon them and it's just seeing this is just they they portray the oath of citizenship and we're supposed to have this swell of patriotism but Prior in the episode, when they're talking about it, they've gone through this list of technocratic mm-hmm. qualifications where they're like, these are all like engineers. Double, double screened, du- double screened by intelligence agencies, and they've taken classes in our language and, and all this, all and, these sorts of and things. And I, I think at some point, and I may have been misremembering, someone actually says, literally actually says, and I'll watch the episode again. Oh, these are the good Arabs. Most of this group being sworn in are from Arab countries. We're talking folks who have been interviewed and background checked by two agencies, taking classes to learn our language, passed exams on our history and government, and been fingerprinted twice. These are the kinds of Arabs we're talking about? Yes, sir. Let's find them an auditorium where they can safely take their oath. Yes, sir. This is certainly the implication, Holy if not shit. outright said. Um yeah, but the, you know, there's they they are quite separate from the bad Arabs. You know the ones. <laughs> you know those <laughs> the ones. ones over there doing the bad things. Who fucking haven't done any fucking bad things cuz we never heard from those Bahi sleeper guys again and they definitely oh, didn't right. kidnap Zoe Bartlett. Right. So remember last episode where I kept saying like, look, I'll give the show credit if they if they actually circle back around on any of this. No, they've dropped it all. It's all gone. <laughs> we won't hear a single thing about Could, it again. The war, the war in Kumar, who kidnapped Zoe, anything about that. It's all fucking gone. Uh, anyway, we've been talking for a little while. Let's take a brief break and then we can circle back on some Josh and Amy drama. Oh boy. <laughs> So the drama of the VP selection is, as a process, is visited through Josh and and just the show just goes all in on him being so put upon 
and, you know, freaking the fuck out. And he locks himself in his office and is like being upset and just kind of staring at his monitor and zoning out or whatever. And that's fine. We're accustomed to Josh having mini melties about pretty much anything mm-hmm. that he gets confronted with. It just shows how hard show. he works in, in, in yes. some ways. Yes, exactly. It shows how stressed out he is, which is a sign of good character. <laughs> um, but in this episode, so we see Amy Gardner coming back and they have officially terminated their romantic relationship. There is for, no for like, a while now <laughs> for quite some time. There's no like them anymore. Although obviously just like anybody, there's an emotional like relationship and consideration between them. But mm-hmm. so Amy Gardner comes back and is very capably going around kicking ass and taking names on behalf of the first lady who's, you know, she's our chief of staff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's like so, chasing down some sort of policy thing. I, I completely forgot about because it's completely inconsequential. Some healthcare, some healthcare thing that was related. Completely but inconsequential anyway. and goes nowhere, of course. Yeah. But she's, you know, doing her thing. And there's a scene where a pretty good scene where Ab, where she asks Abby a question and Abby is just like, like, you can't fucking talk to me about this right now because I'm flipping out and trying to take care of my family. Right. Because, you know, Zoe's back. Um, quick tangent. Early in the episode, Bartlett's making cappuccino and there's a little riff about like, oh, wow, you like cappuccino? You fucking French latte sipping like weirdo with like him and Zoe. And then Abby comes in and just does this most Chandler Bing ask, could that thing be any louder? <laughs> I'm like, I completely missed the latte conversation. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, Abby, I was quoting Friends in 2003, too. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so Abby's, like, freaking out because she's trying to take care of Zoe. And Zoe has been kind of, she's been, we'll get to her shortly, but she's been in the episode. So Zoe looks worse this episode than she did last yes. episode in, like, physical condition. Like, like someone, like, makeup made her bruise larger. <laughs> And stuff. Now, to be fair, bruises do sometimes get worse like that. Uh, but yeah, she just looks like way worse than what, what in the condition they found her in outside, like the rape barn. Well, and so so because Abby's freaking out about this stuff, she basically just delegates everything onto Amy and says, mm-hmm. "Amy, please just fucking take care of this for right. me." For I have to Amy's take like, care yeah, of Okay, Zoe. cool. Right, and yeah, yeah she Amy says, "Okay, cool." Amy jumps to the challenge, no problem. Yeah. Because she's great. And also, um, brief note, Emma notes that uh, Mary Louise Parker was pregnant while this episode was being filmed. And so, like we railed against a couple episodes ago, we will not be seeing her midriff anymore. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, um, so Amy, in a completely bizarre scene, goes into Josh's office to ask him a question. He flips out at her in a similar fashion to Abby and he says, I need a minute. And so Amy does this thing, the literal thing where she takes off her watch, winds the, the hand over to be a minute to count down, takes off her shoes. A little bit of uh, foot fetishism going on here. Not going to judge. Chris Silliza gets suddenly gets interested. Yeah. <laughs> we can see Clint Zilla's boner from 17 years in the future. <laughs> so... Um, takes off her shoes reclines on his couch and stares at him and does like the literal okay i'm going to give you 60 actual seconds to figure to, this to, out to pull your shit together yeah and he's he pulls his shit together by going over and like hard open mouth kissing her 
Yeah. So they're just like they're just hooking up again, or sort of, or or sort of for something. They, they like don't actually that. have sex, but uh, they just they do that. They make out like, for a hot minute, and then it's just like, and then she just leaves, and it's it's uh, writers okay. why, why writers why yeah. like and again like, in the context of not like, that it, Cuomo shit. Right, like, and not that it's impossible. This is bad. Right, <laughs> yeah. Not that it's impossible. You work together. <laughs> At least she's not an underling. Like, thank God. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll give some credit. And there was a pre-existing relationship from when they didn't work together. Um, so, you know, Josh, it's not the worst thing in the world. But it's more just like writers' why. Like, why, why have them do this? Why try to reignite this spark again? Like, are they... Because, spoilers, I know they don't go end up going anywhere with Josh and Amy. They don't have them get back together, like, again, that I'm aware of. Like, actually start dating again. No, and it just seems it's eerily convenient again. And I think this actually dovetails nicely into the point you were making about Zoe Bartlett's use in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Because... As you mentioned, Zoe Bartlett's back. She's being trotted out on, like, press appearances. Right. Just, yeah, not questions, just pictures so that, you know, the American people can see she's home and safe or or something like that. And that's all well and good. But what the the cinematographer takes from this sort of (laughs) thing is to continue these utterly bizarre, out-of-character... Um, editing and shooting choices for these things we get so weird we get a continue not a continual but like a repetitive flashback with the weird as emma mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago like with the thing where it's flashes of black and white Mm -hmm. and not only that it has this weird white aura around the flashback making it seem like you know more thoughty or 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 dreamy yeah exactly and it is the thrust of this is that Zoe puts on a brave face for her father. Charlie figures this out and tells the president that. And we also have a flashback of him telling him that before. So it's meant to convey to us that Zoe's not actually okay. And she loves you, so she's trying to do her best for you, but maybe give her a break. Great. You know, I'm... I'm entirely down with that conceit. Like sure. that makes that's sense a fine message to me. of like, hey, she's still in trauma. She is not okay, which is yeah, pr- yeah a totally fine thing for someone who went through the or complete fucking insane ordeal she's gone through in like the last few days. This is still like a day yeah, or two very close <laughs> after she's fucking rescued. Like this is not weeks later. So and but they take this opportunity, but they do to... it in such a poor way, te- yeah, yeah, yeah. like televisually. And- they're they're continuing the 24ification of the show where it's we have these sort of nifty stylized tricks that we're using and deploying because we have the opportunity to do it and this show and didn't is, used to be about that kind of thing yeah well and it's never it's not executed well in this context at the end with as we mentioned before they have a like a the fireworks for the 4th of July or whatever it's it's interwoven with the nationalization or the oath of citizenship being administered. Fine. Great. Cool. Right. Patriotic. We got it. And then with shots of Zoe's traumatized head in her mother's lap in the car. And it's like, (laughs) yeah. And, and like another flash of like the, the, of the horse riding flashback, like one more time, like, 
What? But, but? <laughs> it, it is, it, it's, it, it's weird that they try to do all three of those things for one purpose. It, and it's just like, yeah, it doesn't, why? It, why? You, you've added too many flavors here and they don't gel well together. <laughs> yeah. You know, you had, yeah. you had chocolate and you had peanut butter and those work well together. And then you added salmon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's bad because it's technically bad. It's not right to, to me that the message or the, the message story is fine. Or, the core yeah. of it, but it's presented in this just like awkward amateurish sort of way of just like the least subtle way of doing it possibly of just flashing it in your face. <laughs> there's, and, there's also an element of there's something that I, I get hints of throughout the show. That is they, it is implied a certain amount of gravity by taking on aristocratic tendencies. So we we see her engaging in basically like horse jumping. And regardless of whether Bartlett has a fucking farm or whether she actually enjoys equestrian sports, there's a certain presumption that underlies right. the use of these yeah. things. Oh, and it's she's, like, oh, well, be... She's not like being a cowboy, just like riding a horse. She has the whole riding outfit. She's doing it in like the upper class way, the way that like Betty Draper rode horses, you know? And, and the understanding seems to be that there's this little soupçon of, well, this is serious because this is a serious person's pursuit that she's engaged in. So you're supposed to take away this added gravity from it. When it's like, motherfucker, she could be riding a skateboard. Bartlett and Bingo Bob even talk about it because Bingo Bob wears cowboy boots. And he's like, and Bartlett's <laughs> like, oh, do you ride? And he's like, no, do you? He's like, oh, no, my daughter does. Uh, and so it even comes up in that. Uh, and if we find out that Bingo Bob wears the cowboy boots just because he has flat arches, which is, uh, uh, again, Gary Cole does a really good job of playing the character, even if the character is dumb. Yeah, and actually, to their credit, bringing up horses sort of between the two, cool, you set yourself up for that one. Great job, you knocked it down with that line. Yes. But, like, it's, it's, very, it's very distracting and seems like it can't decide... But that, um, that's the better way to do it, to just have Bartlett mention it, and rather than these constant yes. flashbacks. Like, this is an actual episode. You know, I constantly rail the show for show, don't tell, but this is a time to actually back off. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and, and telling and not showing is actually okay, because it's more about <laughs> Bartlett's framing of it in his mind, and not so much the actual fucking event itself that we keep flashing back to. <laughs> twisting a dial that says show on one end and tell on the other and constantly looking at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and me, me is just the Ralph Wiggum turning the, the knob to the red yeah. and, and crying <laughs> as, as West Wing is pumped before me. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a potentially interesting sort of story that is being told poorly. Yes. Uh, again. And, that's fine. I'm glad they. I'm glad, frankly, that they deal with the persistence of trauma yes. and how she's reacting to this as a major character on the show. Because we know that Elizabeth Moss, after this show, other than um, Martin Sheen, she has far and away the most sparkling career. Right. Oh yeah. well, Amy Gart and Mary Louise Parker. So sure. like those two, yeah. have the sparkling yeah. career that come out of the West Wing. But yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I love her so much in Mad Men, Elizabeth Moss. Um, incredible, incredible stuff. 
but yeah, uh, just overall, it's 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 a fine story beat to tell, and they just chose to tell it in the worst way possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and interspersed with these other elements that are unrelated. Unrelated. Right. And like I said, that's where it comes down back to the mixing flavors thing. Like, you, you just overdid. You overdid it. You, you know, The fireworks with the immigrants was fine, but then adding Zoe's horse flashback trauma moment is just so stupid. Uh, but yeah, I like that. I like that they are tackling with her trauma and that it radiates out and it causes Mrs. Bartlett to start. It forms like a rift between the Bartlett's for a while that uh, not just for a while. I think it's almost like it's semi-permanent. Like they 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 reconcile. It's not like they ever get divorced or anything. But like she never truly seems to care for him as much again. Oh, so here's the other element that actually I think is nice in this episode. There is a small um, interlude where Leo goes to talk to Abby, and she. Just she basically tells him to fuck off because right. she's never going to trust him again because right. he, he told lied her, to her about right. Sharif. Yeah, and he she thinks that he convinced Bartlett to kill Sharif, which he kind of did. Uh, to be fair, uh, he was basically the one who's like, "Look, you're president. You have to do these things." Uh, and, <laughs> in the moment, and and I like that they go down this road. The impact could have been redoubled. If it was actually the Kumaris who had kidnapped Zoe. Right. God right. damn it. Right, because if it turns out Zoe just got kidnapped by some dumb idiot Americans, then she has no actual reason to be mad because the Zoe thing isn't linked in any way. If if we had found out, yeah, if it was those Bahi sleepers or, yeah, or Kumaris or something, then Abby would be completely in the right. But because yeah. we don't know, it's this weird Schrodinger's cat explanation in, in essence, <laughs> yeah. where and she she is simultaneously right and wrong. Yeah, and I'm I'm like, okay, cool. Like, sure, you're right to not trust him, but part. But the thing is, you don't have clearance. So, right, like he he kind of had to lie to you. I'm, I'm sorry. Right, like he lies to you about a lot, a lot of stuff, <laughs> a or lot, a lot. At, or he would, if he, he would if you asked him about it. <laughs> exactly. At the very most charitable, he omits a lot right. of stuff. He just doesn't tell you a ton of stuff. But if you asked yeah. him about it, he would have to lie to you or just not answer. So, yeah. And again, I think Abby being um, starting to be a little bit estranged from both her husband and from Leo is, I think it's, you know, I, it's got I, some legs. Yeah. And I think at this point, she's perfectly reason to be like why don't i just check out from all of this because she starts making inquiries to uh the secret service about how's the protection back at like the bartlett home is it is it as good as the white house or or even better and then she's like what if i just take zoe there and we just stay there for the rest of bartlett's term because i'm kind of sick of this place yeah and she's graduated now so right she has no know, reason to stick around yeah exactly yeah. um yeah, so, it, yeah, it leads to at least an interesting arc in that thing. So, one plus one point, new West Wing writers. You found one <laughs> one salvageable arc out of this whole mess that you didn't completely ruin. Good job, everybody. <laughs> a passing D- minus <laughs> all around. We're number one. We're number one. Okay, so let's take another quick break and we can wrap up. no doubt in my mind and it's been you woman right 
and welcome back. The last thing I want to mention before we wrap up here is I noticed some major changes in terms of the technical presentation of the show in this particular episode. Stu, you said you noticed the editing, but the thing that jumped out to me is the fucking lighting. Hmm. For for four seasons, we've been used to pretty standard, even TV lighting. Uh, the show does not tend to do dramatic lighting for the most part, other than in a few choice cases, some, you know, something like two cathedrals or something like that. Some of our scenes at night have a little bit more dramatic lighting, but for the most part, the lighting is just standard, typical. In this episode, it's shot like... A fucking Michael Bay movie or something <laughs> where all all this fucking orange light is just blasting our characters. Like there's this, that scene in Josh's office that you had mentioned between yeah. Josh and Amy is like this fucking orange light is just being blasted in from his windows. And it looks like they're on the fucking like surface of the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's these odd choices we've never seen before on this show. And yeah, it's just... I get that perhaps, and again, they sort of tie together where they're trying to take it in a bit more um, like a dramatic direction. So, you know, we, we, we've talked about this before, like the transition from show about politics and the people who engage with them mm-hmm, to show about mm-hmm. people who are engaging about in politics. the internal drama yeah. of the show, right? Yeah. As opposed to political issues in and of themselves. Yeah. And this sort of informs that as well, you know. I don't want to say it's just something that particularly stood out to me, but it's also just marching right along that path of, I don't know, it may be just the kind of the evolution of the television landscape. And like I said, you know, I called it the 24-ification, but this has been on mm-hmm. for, you know, it's been being shot for five years. And there are, around this time, there are major, major technical advancements being it happening. happening. Yeah. Um, True. The, the transition true, true. to sort of a newer I digital think this is, yeah like a newer digital standard right yeah because uh, I think Phantom Menace actually and the Star Wars prequels were sort of the uh, the Lucas made the big push to digital for mm. that and then people started catching up uh, after that so that would be like 99 as episode one and so yeah here we are in like 2004 ish and yeah there's it's a it is a mini revolution in terms of technical filmmaking times. Yeah, so let me... Actually, I did a real quick look So maybe up. they're just sort of experimenting, throwing things at the wall to see what sticks kind of thing, but oof, I don't know <laughs> what they were thinking with the lighting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, again, a bunch of people looked at this, signed off on it, and went, yep, good television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, there was... It's really interesting because the U.S. didn't transition completely until 2009, but I remember having different standards in my dorm room i think junior year of college which would have been 2004 05 for hd versus SD. yeah and yeah. and the aspect ratio where things could be theoretically letterboxed right right where six yeah 16 to 9 and, and widescreen started yep. becoming the norm yep. uh, as opposed to the exception yeah so it, it that at least explains the circumstances of maybe why they made some of these choices. <laughs> yeah. It does not uh, excuse those choices, no, unfortunately. Not, but... <laughs> uh, anything else? I think that's all I got. This up? was this was not a great Bad. episode. <laughs> yeah, really Ugh. not good. Gary Cole is good. The guy who plays uh, the first VP nomination, also good. 
uh, you know, all the actors are doing fine with what they're given, but you can tell that the show is just kind of struggling to find its feet again. And I think it'll, I mean, it won't truly ever find its feet again. When they get back into the campaign stuff in season six and seven, I find maybe that's just easier to write or something because the show's quality definitely increases then. But we've, we've got a rough season five to get yeah, through before this then, is, unfortunately. <laughs> this is like an interregnum type of thing where it's just... Um, yeah. uh, a, whole, a whole season of like, oh, fuck, everything got thrown <laughs> on its side. Oh, yeah. we've got to put it all back. Yeah. And I mean, then, but the thing is, I think everybody will say that one of the best episodes is the Supremes, and that's a season sure, five. But you can, you can get a one-off in in a bad season on this kind <laughs> of a show quite easily, just yep. by like someone pulling it all together and and just going like, no, we're not doing the stupid way. We're gonna do it the regular way. <laughs> <sighs> all right. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we always enjoy. Uh, entertaining you with uh, the description of this awful neoliberal shit show. Uh, We could always welcome your comments, feedback in either of our threads, Uh, and if you found the show a different way, hello, welcome, and you can email the show if you'd like at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always nice. Uh, So we will see you next time when we discuss the next episode, and until then, everyone stay safe and chill. Bye. Bye. But don't ask me to come on 